You're listening to the Pigskin Cafe, a podcast covering the wild world of college football. On tap for today are hot takes, controversy, and analysis on your favorite team. Pull up a seat and your host, Hampton Sipper, will be with you in three, two, one. And we are back. Welcome to the first installment of the Big Skin Cafe. I'm your host, Hampton Sipper, and to kick off our new season, we have a very special guest. Not only is he a marketing ambassador for Haynes T-shirts and a Fleetwood Mac superfan, he is one of the premier voices in the college football media landscape and the host of the Late Kick and the Late Kick Extra podcast over on 247 Sports. Let's welcome into the cafe, Mr. Josh Pate. Josh, thanks for joining us tonight. How's it going? It was good, man. I was glad that we stacked the intro in the right order. We saved the <laughs> sports stuff for last, and we just we lead with the juice. That's how we do it. Yes, sir. Got to, man. Got to. Um, you're, uh, we, we, now, Haynes T-shirts, I don't know if we share love for that, but Fleetwood Mac definitely is a uh, – is a thing that I love, love all their music, and I know you do too. And um, I think one of my favorite videos of yours is when you use different um, Fleetwood Mac titles to describe different things in college football. I thought that was really, really innovative and really fun. Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, it probably should be a weekly series. So I'm going to write oh, that absolutely. down. <laughs> absolutely. Well, let's get right into it, man. Um, First question I want to ask you, um, I heard, you know, you did a video a week or two ago about kind of how you got to where you are now and kind of how God kind of opened doors for you and, you know, every step of the way, just his hand was in it all and you got to 247 and doing what you're doing now. But my question is, what sparked your passion for college football? I think my upbringing being around it, playing it, watching it. You know, it ran in the family as it tends to do in the South. Uh, but I'll tell you what stood out the most to me is college football is a very romanticized game. History is what it's built on. It's a lot like baseball in that way. So if you grew up in the South and you listen to the right older folks tell stories, it really gets inside you. You know, I remember listening to people talk about Bear Bryant, for example. And I remember you know, listening to stories about old games and old rivalries and old players. And I remember just revering folks that had been alive to see that sort of thing. And I mm-hmm. fell in love with the game. That's at a very early age how I fell in love with it. And then as I grow a little bit older, I'm watching the modern day game when I'm in middle school and high school. And I just I love every aspect of it. I'm glued to it. And at about the same time that I start getting in high school, you know, I started to also develop a passion for broadcasting. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I started to develop sort of the the desire to communicate in that form, to be the conduit, to be the middleman of sorts between what people were seeing on their television and themselves. And I had no clue. I mean, we were still a long way away from ever mapping out a game plan as to how I was going to go from one point to the other. But I think that's where it was born is storytelling, being around it when I was younger and just asking Short of actually being a college football or NFL player myself, is there any way that I could be like one of these folks that just gets to cover it for a living, which to me is like a unicorn job. And I never, at that age, never really viewed it as an actual 
possibility, but getting a little bit older and realized it was, I decided it was time to go for it. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. My, my story is kind of similar. You grow, you know, you grow up in the South and have a family that loves football. And I remember my first memory was like, uh, of watching football was 2004. Um, remember watching Iron Bowl, Alabama lost 21 to 13. Um, which still hurts me to this day, even though I was only seven, I think, at the time. I remember watching that great Auburn team in 2004. And just the pageantry and the traditions that you were kind of talking about, I think, really um, differentiate college football from any other game. And that's what makes it so beautiful. That's what makes it so great to talk about. And I think you hit on that perfectly. Um, I think you hit on that perfectly. So, Well, here's the other – just think about this now. I, I was telling someone the other day, I was trying to properly convey Nick Saban. You know, we're in an era, whether you're a Bama fan or not, we're in an era where you're watching, in my opinion, the greatest of all time. And mm-hmm. it occurs to me in real time that I'm in an era that 20 or 30 years down the road, you will tell stories about. And there wow. will be younger yeah. kids who think about and, and interpret that the same way that I, as a kid, listen to people tell stories about seeing Paul Bryant or in the Big Ten talking about Woody Hayes. I wasn't old enough. I wasn't around to see that. Dude, we're around right now to watch the best of all time. And and Nick Saban won't be on the sideline in all likelihood in 2045. But God willing, you will be there to tell stories to someone who's 10 or 15 years old. That's the way I think about it. That's why it's such an honor to watch it. And then it's triply an honor to actually be able to cover Nick Saban, to talk to him a few times a year. It's just... um, it's a little surreal for someone who grew up loving and romanticizing the sport like I did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think I think you do a good job and a unique job of covering him from the aspect of what he still has left to prove, what still drives him. And I think um, that's a really unique perspective that you can kind of hone in on and um, discuss with your viewers on your show, um, especially your interviews with them, which I think have been um, really good and, you know, really different than the average, um, you know, press conference he has during the week where he gives. I mean, he sometimes will provide juicy little nuggets here and there, but I think you've done a good job of kind of extracting a little information into the process and kind of his mindset. So um, totally agree with you on that. Um, the next question I have for you, um, I know you have, um, you know, kind of already started the campaign of trying to be the commissioner of college football. Um, so other than the playoff, which I won't get you started on, I know um, I don't want to get your blood pressure too high on a, on a Monday night, but if you were elected the commissioner of college football, other than the playoff, what would be the one rule change you would pursue to make for a better product for not only the viewer, but student athlete, coach, et cetera? I do away with the playoff. That's what I do. Oh, you said you said exclude that. Okay, I'm sorry. Sometimes I miss that part. So I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one thing that aggravates me to no end right now is the inconsistency in the targeting rule. No one likes it. No one agrees with the way it's enforced. No one agrees with the way the rule is worded. And I think that there was really good intention, and still is. There's really good intention with the the spirit of the rule, but we also understand once we see it. For a little a little while, we understand there's some tweaks that need to be made, and the fact that all targeting is equal right now is ludicrous to me. So I would address that. I would have an intentional and a five yard variety of targeting. I wouldn't be ejecting kids for the five yard variety. I may not even eject them for the fifteen. I would make it like personal fouls. You know, you accrue a couple of those. It's a different story. You accrue one of them, 
it's everybody can tell when someone needs to be ejected from a game. Like, I think we all understand that. So I would fix that. And I would also end this completely ridiculous practice of eyeballing the spot of balls instead of using technology that we've had forever and mm-hmm. implementing microchip technology in balls and also in strips that are invisible to the naked eye across the field to where we can have exact spots and measurements for first downs and for whether a ball broke the plane of the end zone. I just I can't believe the technological advances. We've had man on the moon over 50 years and we cannot spot a ball right. That's just I, that makes no sense. It's like humanity in different lanes of society is moving at different speeds. For our next question, um, Josh, what's the best game you have ever covered and who is the best player you have ever covered? Well, the best game was the 2017 National Championship game. You're talking mm-hmm. about growing up in Columbus, Georgia, first off, which is right on the border of Georgia and Alabama. I was working in local TV while also in the infancy of doing what I eventually ended up doing with late kicks. So I am in the backyard of Alabama and Georgia. They meet in a national title game in Atlanta, no less. And you have an overtime match with a <laughs> second 26. One of those famous plays in the history of college football. And I'm on the field and immediately run out. I'm in the dog pile with Alabama's players. I have some of the best cell phone wow. footage that anyone's ever gathered in the history of this planet. And so um, <laughs> I could not believe that, man. That was in Atlanta, obviously. So I'm only an hour down the road. It's an hour's drive home. And yet I didn't get home till the sun came up. I didn't want to leave. I did not yeah. want to leave. And, and combine that, or you can juxtapose that rather with the next year, the national title games in Santa Clara. So we're out there for Bama Clemson. That's the only game I ever left early. It was so boring. It was such a route that I went back to the media hotel. And so it's funny how you look at what one year to the next year can mean. But um, that was my favorite game. And I'll tell you, it's, it seems like a lot of Alabama only because they've been so good. I don't know. Hey, yeah, Jonathan <laughs> Allen at the college level was really, really good. I mean, that team, that those teams that he played on at Bama, they were loaded. But Jonathan Allen was a different kind of cat. And, of course, you've seen a lot of the quarterbacks. I mean, I covered Joe Burrow, so Joe Burrow's up there. Mm-hmm. If you want to go offensive guy, I mean, that's a transcendent talent, generational talent. Um, I would go – I'd go Jonathan Allen and Joe Burrow are the best two that I've watched. Wow, that's really cool. That's really cool. Well, as an Alabama fan, I agree with you on the game. I have very fond memories of that game. Um, and really – I don't know when Alabama's 30 for 30 is going to be down the road, but at least an hour of it should be that 2017 season and that quarterback room with Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa and kind of the struggle not only within the room but within the coaching staff on, who, you know, whether Tua should have gotten more playing time throughout the year, um, the wide receivers kind of clamoring for that. And it all, you know, coalesced in, a, you know, a national championship game where he comes off comes off the bench and delivers, like you said, one of the greatest plays in college football history. Um, and then with Jonathan Allen, um, not only was he great on the field, he was great at uh, giving some really good, you know, just one-liner quotes. Like, um, you know, after, after the Michigan State game, they asked him, um, you know, teams don't really blow out, um, you know, Big Ten teams in the uh, in the championship. And he says Alabama does. Alabama does. I mean, that's just legendary, just legendary. Um, so couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, 
Now let's transition to the upcoming season. Um, every year in the ACC, it's Clemson and everyone else. My question is, that does a team like Florida State with McKenzie Milton, second year uh, with Mike Norvell at the helm, um, a North Carolina, Sam Howell, Mac Brown, or a Miami with De'Aaron King coming back from injury, do any of those three teams emerge as a serious threat to the Tigers this year? No. I, well, not without a lot of help from Clemson. I mean, obviously, if if you were to tell me quarterback injury is going to happen in week four, that's a different story. But outside of that, no, I have a very hard time seeing that. And the reason is, look, I'm a believer in the long-term prospectus for North Carolina's defensive line. But they got a lot of young kids on that defensive line this year. Again, they're going to be good. Javari Ritzy is a kid that looks like he could play at Alabama right now. I mean, that was what Steve Wolfong and I were talking about on signing day. Ritzy comes in. Uh, they got Miles Murphy there. Silver's another kid there. Like those guys look like they are legitimate big-time Ohio State, Alabama-type players. But the problem is they're all freshmen. Well, the potential problem is they're all freshmen. And so you just ask yourself, is it likely a team that young along the front is going to get it done in a championship-type environment against Clemson at the end of the year when the Tigers are already – I mean, DJ Uyangale is not a first-year starter by that point. He's got an entire 12-game sample size. Agreed. And it's just tough to envision that. So – I think it's a it's a very underrated conference, though. When you got twelve or thirteen quarterbacks returning, and you got a lot more experience because of COVID, do not sell the ACC short. If it sounds like I'm doing that, I'm not. But I don't mm-hmm. think anyone's overtaking Clemson. Yeah, and Georgia Tech. You know, last year they made um, made a little buzz in their first game against Florida State, and throughout the year, I think probably built a solid foundation. You talked about their recruiting; they've done a pretty good job of recruiting that Atlanta area pretty well. They might be another team that could not compete for a title or anything, but maybe sneak up on one of the, you know, primary contenders and upset someone uh, on a given Saturday. Yeah, I really think that they are in the first year right now at Georgia Tech where they can viably look at their their offensive line, for example, and say, okay, these are guys that fit the mold we want to play with. That's how hard it is to take over what was formerly a triple option roster and rebuild it. So they're there now. Uh, They have to have year one to year two quantum improvement with Jeff Sims at quarterback. And you say that about a lot of teams, so it's not unique to Georgia Tech. But I really pull for that staff uh, for the same reason I pull for Pittman and Arkansas. I really hope – I always pull for culture guys, culture fits. Uh, You you might as well weave – you might as well weave Jeff Collins into Georgia Tech. You might as well weave Sam Pittman into Arkansas. They are that good a fit at those places. Shane Beamer in South Carolina is another one. I always pull for those guys because I think that's something unique to college football that does not exist at the pro level, and I'm all for the uniqueness of the sport. Mm-hmm. Perfectly well put. Perfectly well put. Um, got two more questions for you, Josh. Um, what is an SEC team this year that will exceed expectations and one that will fall short in your opinion? I think Ole Miss is an obvious candidate. I think Missouri is another candidate. But let me go with Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss, if you tell me they're going to play average defense this year, that's a 10-win caliber team. And I know what division they play in. So that should tell you everything about what I think about their offensive personnel. Uh, I think that's as easy and as cut and dry as it is with them. I also, you know, I look around, and I'm not going to go as far as to say – I'm not going to go as far as to predict it. I will say LSU is the most volatile team this year and a potential answer to both sides of this question, to be honest with you, because I don't think there's a ceiling or a floor on them. You know, if you tell me they haven't rectified the internal situations down there or some of this off-field stuff's going to bubble up right in the middle of the season at the worst time, 
I, I don't know that there is a bottom to how far they could fall. However, they could win a national championship too because the roster is that good. So LSU may be the answer there. I'll tell you the one I'm most fascinated to watch is Florida because I, mm-hmm. I am a believer that Dan Mullen seriously explored leaving and probably if he were to get his way, wanted to get out of there and test the NFL and the options weren't there. And so he's back now. Mm-hmm. And it is hard to pick something back up when you put it down and, you know, maintain that same speed you were moving at. So if he can do it, it'll be one of his best coaching jobs or the best coaching job you've ever seen. I'll say that. So I don't know that anyone's expecting them to win the East this year, but they're expecting them to contend. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're exactly right. And I'm glad you um, brought, brought up Missouri because I think, I mean, I think they went five and five last year, um, but they didn't get talked about to me enough for the job that Drinkwitz did, especially with Bazelak at quarterback. They've got some weapons and had a pretty high potent offense by the end of the year. They did. I think when I go back to their season last year, it got thrown all out of whack because they opened with Alabama. And so True. immediately you see them get blown out and people aren't really thinking about them. I thought week two against Tennessee is really where they blew an opportunity to have a very good season. Because I thought mm-hmm. that they matched up well. Uh, they were an 11-point dog in that game. They did not put Basilak in until later in that game. I thought they would start him. And when they put him in, they started moving the ball. But overall, Tennessee just overpowered him that day. At, well, the funny thing is the next week they beat LSU. So it wasn't like it was a lost season. But I really thought that was their opportunity to make some early season noise. But having said that, you know, this year, yes, they set up. You tell me. I'll read their schedule. I haven't memorized. They got Central Michigan. They go to Kentucky. They got one of the directional schools in Missouri. They got Boston College, Tennessee, North Texas. There is not a murderer's row there before they play Texas A&M in, in uh, mid-October. And they grab A&M right after A&M's played Alabama. So Ooh. there's an opportunity to win every single game there. Yeah. Wow. That does set up very nicely for them um, coming down the stretch. And, you know, you talk about that Tennessee game. You know, Tennessee comes out and puts a, you know, pretty substantial beat down on them. And we think, oh, you know, they're going to be riding high and, you know, they're here for real. Then they go to Athens, play well for a half, and then the wheels come off the bus and Pruitt's fired and um, they blow everything up in Knoxville. It's just crazy how, you know, things change over the course of the season. But yet, even with all the turmoil, they found a way to beat Will Muschamp. Didn't everyone? That is very true. That is very true. Um, final question for you, Josh. Um, as an Alabama fan, I have to have to ask you this. Um, if Alabama does not win a national title this year, what, in your opinion, will be the primary reason as to why? Just not, not enough lethal continuity on offense. You watched them mm-hmm. last year. It almost felt like, especially midway point of the season and onward, it felt like Nick Saban didn't even need to be there. And by be there, I mean he, he could almost take his hands off the wheel. It was almost driving <laughs> itself. And I've only seen them do that a couple of times. Even at Alabama, I've only seen him have a couple of teams that were just that locked in. And I don't take that for granted. They recruit. I'm as they've been. Like he's only had two undefeated teams. It was last year and it was 09. And it's yeah. just it's just hard to replicate that. I know that there's promise at every position. I know that Bill O'Brien is a a fantastic hire. I mean, they got former NFL head coaches coaching the offensive line there. So they're loaded, as they always are. But it is tough to replicate that. And I know revisionist history tells us, well, they just blew everyone out. Well, it was a one-possession game against Florida. 
You know, so mm-hmm. even even last year uh, against Georgia, they either trailed at the half or it was very close at the half. So, I mean, it, they won every game. But there were times even last year where there were moments where they struggled. And so then I – Ole Miss on the road, game three. And then I have all the new pieces this year, and I just – I could come all together magically, but if it doesn't, I think that'll be the reason why. I do not think defense is going to fail them this year. Yeah, I, I think at the defense, um, you know, I'm I'm not in the camp of fire Pete Golding like many Alabama fans or rag on Pete Golding. Um, but I think this year is like the first legitimate shot, um, which, I mean, last year was too, but the first legit shot of like, if he doesn't produce this year, which I'd have no doubt that he will, um, then there can be some questions about his effectiveness. But, I mean – you know, 2019, I think he gets a bad rap for that with all the injuries. Um, and then last year, the defense improved over the year. And, I mean, we the Alabama won a championship. So, I don't know how you can really nitpick his performance other than Alabama fans are going to do that anyway with anything. No, I would agree with that. I mean, I have no problem with that. Yeah. I got you, man. Well, Josh, I genuinely appreciate it. Um, thank you for taking your time out. And um, before we get out of here, can you uh, – you go ahead and plug whatever you got going on, uh, where people can follow you online and um, where they can get um, some more of your coverage. Yeah, absolutely. 24 seven sports YouTube channel is where we do late kick live. That is about to be three nights a week. It'll be Sunday, Tuesday and Thursday night. I love the live shows, but we also have a podcast product and a couple of them that are exclusively podcast every week. So the only way to get those is to be subscribed to the late kick podcast. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, also, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. I am very much the guy to be following if you just want someone talking college football and basically <laughs> nothing else. Pretty much. Pretty much. that I think that perfectly sums you up. And, um, again, I just thank you for your time. And for the listeners out there, um, be sure to support Josh. And be sure to follow us on our social media. We've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Got another episode dropping this week with the one and only Coach Hayes who we've had on before. Um, so be sure to you know follow us on social media for updates on that. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to talking to you very, very soon.